0: Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is Sunday, February 26th, and we are in week four of our Revelation teaching series. Today, we looked at chapter two, verses eight through 11 to the letter or the message to the church in Smyrna. This letter comes in the context of the larger section, which is the seven messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so uh, this week, uh, as we looked at this letter to this church, our main idea the key teaching truth here today was that if I aim at nothing or when I aim at nothing, I hit it every single time. Uh, and that is a, an idea that we understand in every frame of our lives, right? That we need to be intentional. And it's, it's a, it comes out of, again, this idea that the word conquer here is used to each church In verse 11, Jesus says this, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And it's a military metaphor. It's a military word here. And while we maybe think of the finality of conquering, uh, those in the first century, those reading this would have understood it as in the process, right? And so Jesus is saying, again, we need to be faithful. Faithfulness is this process. It is this, it is this active thing, intentional thing. And so we need to be faithful in that, even in what we are going through uh, here and now. And, uh, and so as we are in this text, we've got some great questions that come up. And this is a church that is facing significant persecution and pressure. Most churches in the first century would have, or most believers in the first century would have faced social pressure. Right? Um, it's what we saw in Ephesus. It's we've seen in other in other um, messages and and letters that we've been in Paul or Peter. And First Peter is writing to a church that's facing social pressure, but not necessarily organized government uh, opposition to the faith, right? But here to the church in Smyrna, they are facing political pressure, organized governmental pressure that's actually people are being, believers are being arrested and some are even being martyred. And so uh, it's gone from social pressure all the way to formal persecution by the the Roman government, and so the first question that came in here that today is talking about that pressure, that persecution, and it says Revelation chapter two verse ten mentions ten days of tribulation. When did these occur? Are these even ten literal days, or simply referring to a short period that the believers will suffer? That's a great question. And so um, the ten days here in this passage, uh, when it's when it's referred to, when Jesus is saying it, it is going back to uh, Daniel. And if you remember the story of Daniel, Daniel says uh, to the king, he says, let, let me and, and my guys, let us be tested for 10 days. We won't eat of uh, the king's food, um, but uh, we'll eat our own diet. And with that, test us after 10 days and see if we're as strong, see if we're as capable as anyone else. And if you know the story of Daniel, they get tested after 10 days and they are proven to be exceptional, right? So, um, so there, that testing happens there, and so this is a this is a uh, this is a reflection or an image back to that story, that reality. And so, what Jesus is doing here is he's reminding them that the end is in sight, right? That your testing, your tribulation, your sufferings, um, the pressures that you're facing—they're not going to go on uh, without limit, right? That God sees you; He's over it and um, that he's over all of human history specifically. And so there will come a point in time where, where the testing and the pressure and the persecution on the church will end, right? Even for the believers here in Smyrna, as they understood it for themselves specifically, like this testing, this pressure will not go on indefinitely, that God has authority over all of it. Now, are these 10 literal days? Did they understand it in that way? We're not sure, um, and there's no there's no great historical evidence to understand that if there was if there really was okay it was ten literal days of pressure and persecution. What we do know, and I referenced it this morning, is that uh, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, who was actually a disciple of John, by the way. So the Apostle John, who's writing the letter of Revelation here, um, he Polycarp was one of John's disciples. And so Polycarp is the bishop of the church in Smyrna, which is kind of like the lead pastor. He is he is over the church in Smyrna, and and so in one fifteen A.D. or so, um, Polycarp is actually martyred. He is um, uh, he, he's, he is killed for the faith, right? And so the whole the whole thing with Polycarp was that he was not willing to coalesce to the Roman government or come alongside the Roman government and say that Caesar is Lord. Uh, he said, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus alone is Lord. So, um, did persecution only last for 10 days in this region? Well, we, we know that from the story of Polycarp and the martyrdom of Polycarp, we know that it happened um, much longer than that. Uh, was it 10 literal days for these believers at this moment? Maybe, but we don't really have great historical evidence for that. And so, how do we understand that today? Um, we understand it again as this uh, the larger truth that that suffering is limited, that suffering will not go on forever, that Jesus has, is victor, and that because he is victor, uh, we get to share in his victory now in part and in full in the age to come. So uh, 10 literal days, uh, possibly, but we don't have historic, really great historical evidence to, to demonstrate that, and we know the persecution of the Christians— uh, and believers continued, not just in that region, in that city, but largely in the Roman Empire until 313 AD uh, with the Pax Romana under Constantine, uh, when then Christianity becomes the official religion of, of, of the Roman Empire, and uh, Christians are able to move about more freely, um, but still facing pressure socially within the, within the Roman Empire. So... Um, yeah, ten little days. We're not sure uh, how do we understand it. We understand it that that our suffering is limited in scope and that Jesus sees us. Remember, that's a huge part of this passage, uh, verse nine. Jesus says, "I know your tribulation, your poverty. Um, you are, but you are rich. Uh, the slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not—they are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, their suffering is not going unseen either, right? So not only is it limited in time and in scope." Um, but it's also, it's also not unseen by God. Jesus sees their suffering. He, uh, he sees it. He knows it. He understands it. Why? Well, as Hebrews tells us, we have a high priest who is sympathetic. And so Jesus, even in his earthly life and ministry, he was mocked. He was beaten. He was accused. He is the suffering servant that Isaiah uh, talks about. It's uh, Isaiah 53. By his wounds, by his stripes, uh, we are healed, Right? So Jesus, even though he did not sin, he suffered on our behalf. So for these believers that in Smyrna that are walking through uh, physical persecution, uh, Jesus remind, reminds them, I know what you're going through. I understand. I see you now. And don't forget, this is limited, right? The, this this, temp, this uh, suffering uh, will not go on forever. And so what's his command after? After. Uh, he says this, And for ten days you will have tribulation. Then his command is, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He's reminding them of the victory that they've already experienced in part. So even if man takes your life away, he cannot take away from you what God has not already given, and God has given you eternal life. So be faithful because man has no power over you to take away what God has already given, right? He cannot take from you uh, what God has already restored, and he's restored you to eternal life. So even if you lose your physical life, you have been given eternal life. And when you've been given eternal life, uh, what's the what's the bigger picture, the bigger theological picture for us is that uh, it's not that we'll live uh, on some ethereal plane with God forever in, in heaven. It's that it's that we will have eternal glorified bodies as believers on the new earth so we will be restored back to our physical to a physical reality um, on the new earth and yet it will be like the garden in Eden it will be like it was before that, that that we will have perfect communion with God, perfect communion with each other and and we will be restored to the right position of creation as it was before the fall right? that's Revelation chapter 21: 22. Uh, the new heaven and the new earth and so we believe in a literal new heaven and a literal new earth that that will be restored in the end so uh, so even for these believers here what has been taken away from them uh, by man here is only temporary and ultimately uh, even if they are to lose their lives if they're faithful unto death they've already they're already experiencing the reward of eternal life yet they are to experience it even more so in the age to come so they're motivated to be faithful even even unto death that that man cannot take from them for uh, the man cannot take away from them something that God has already given to them right and so that kind of leads into a, this next question that came up and uh, it comes out of verse 9 uh, what does it mean that you suffer and are in poverty but you are rich right so again this group is suffering so the word tribulation here literally means sufferings heaped upon sufferings It's not just mild inconveniences and your poverty, the word poverty here doesn't mean that you don't have enough for the, uh, for some superfluous things in life, right? Like, you know what, I'm hungry and I just want to go out and get a cheeseburger, you know, it's, but I got food in the fridge, but I want to go get a cheeseburger, (laughs) you know? Okay. I've got the cash to go do that. I can do that. Um, no, it literally means that you are, you don't have enough for today, right? You are Uh, You are lacking the basic necessities of life. And so Jesus says to them, I know your tribulation. I know that uh, you are suffering upon suffering and your poverty. You don't have enough for today. I see you. But he reminds them, he says, but you are rich. And what that phrase means there is Jesus is reminding them of the richness, the wealth of their spiritual inheritance, right? That though you may be in poverty here on earth, you may be materially poor on earth. You are, however, you are part of God's family and, and you are an inheritor of all spiritual Blessings, and you're an inheritor of spiritual life, right? And so, so while you may not, while you are suffering here, and while you are in poverty here, uh, do not discredit, do not discount the fact, uh, do not forget the fact uh, that here is temporary, right? Paul will often he'll go on to say, you know, we count our our sufferings um, for what they are, right? They are they are limited, right? They are there, but momentary sufferings. Paul will say. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul will say, I am being poured out as a drink offering. Um, he's facing death at that moment, right? Yet his eyes are fixed upon the gift of eternal life and the the immense, the immense, really the immense wealth of eternal life, the immense wealth of blessings that he's been given by God, and he has yet to experience with God in the age and life to come. So Jesus is saying to this to this group, Hey, I see you. I understand. I know. Don't forget your inheritance. Don't forget that you've already been given victory. You've already experienced victory in part. Yes, you're suffering. He's not. He's not being trite. He's not. You know. He's not just trying to say. You know. Hey, suck it up. It's going to be fine. You know. Uh, Jesus is reminding them of the depth of their spiritual inheritance, uh, which is actually a common theme. Uh, throughout the scriptures, it's a, it's a common theme throughout the New Testament that we are reminded of the depth of our of our salvation. We're reminded of the uh, of the depth of our inheritance, right? And so that helps to keep and to put in place. It helps to keep and put in place uh, our current sufferings, right? We do not have to fear um, because something eternal is true about. Us right. We've been adopted into God's family. Uh, we do not even have to. Um, we do not ha- have to fear the poverty that we experience. We might be materially poor here and now, and they're materially poor because of their testimony of Jesus. Right. It's not just because they didn't decide to go out and get a job or those kind of things. They were materially poor because their neighbors were literally stealing from them. They were robbing from them. They were taking from them. It's part of that persecution that they were experiencing, right? Um, so uh, this idea of spiritual wealth, uh, where do we see it in the scriptures? Um, spiritual wealth in the midst of economic, uh, of, of poverty, economic poverty being materially poor, we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, James chapter 2, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. In those passages, we hear this same idea being uh, conveyed, and it is just this reminder of, hey, believers, uh, don't lose sight. Don't lose track. Uh, keep keep the uh, the main thing in mind. Stay focused on the goal. Yes, you're suffering right now, and you're suffering in a myriad of ways. Emotionally, you're suffering socially, you're suffering materially. And, and then for this group here, they're going to be suffering to the point of a physical persecution, physical, um, uh, physical death, right, for some. Might even be, they're going to be martyred for the faith. And so... Uh, so for them keep keep the 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 end in mind be reminded of your spiritual position your position in the father's family that you you are adopted that you are uh, an inheritor of all spiritual blessings and so this moment your sufferings are temporary uh, this moment your sufferings are momentary yet there is a eternity of joy an eternity of of communion with the Father uh, that lays ahead for you, and so again, Jesus is not being trite. He's not dismissing what's going on in their lives and the pressures that they're facing. Um, he is—he's helping them to keep the keep things in uh, focus. Nor is he also justifying. Jesus is not justifying the uh, the slander. He's not justifying the tribulations, the sufferings. He's not justifying the fact that their neighbors were stealing from them uh, and causing their poverty. So. Um, so in that, Jesus isn't saying, hey, you know what, these things are okay, it's no big deal, just kind of get on with it. Um, no, he's reminding them of the bigger story, and, and what is at stake eternally, and what is true for them eternally. And that, again, is a motivator uh, for them, and should be a motivator for us today, to persevere faithfully, right? That we are uh, God's children, and, uh, and so uh, because of that, um, we have, we have a, a wealth of blessings uh, that we get to experience now, namely that we get to experience God's presence now. That is the greatest blessing, right? Uh, often we think of blessings as these material things, and, and sometimes they are. Sometimes the blessings of God are the material things, uh, right? In the middle of our suffering, uh, the fact that God provides for us, though, that we would have enough uh, to go on day by day, um, that he gives us gifts and talents and abilities. Those are all blessings by God given to us. Um, and so in the American mindset though, sometimes we think of, uh, you know, the blessings of God, we've got to have, you know, a well-stocked 401k and the house and the cars and all that kind of stuff. And you go, no, no, no. Uh, that's, that's not, that's not what God has promised us. Um, and the greatest blessing that God gives us is his faithful presence. And that's not withheld from us. Instead, it is made available to us through Christ. So when we think about blessings, um, we have to keep it in mind that ultimately the greatest blessing that we have is the, is the faithful presence of, of God made available to us through Christ. Right, um, and so again, this passage here, we've got a church that is suffering, a church that is facing persecution, and uh, we've got another question along those lines. And says, uh, "Do you feel that there are churches today persecuting Christians for not being Christian enough?" Uh, let me read that. Let me read that back here one more time. Do you feel that there are churches today persecuting Christians for not being Christian enough? Um, uh, here's what I here's what I hear in that question. So I may not I may not be hearing this question correctly, but here's what I hear in that question: is that uh, the sort of sometimes the judgmentalism that can come in any number of religious circles, right, where we are trying to establish or um, you know evaluate who is a true believer, and often what we do is we begin to um, create our own. Our own many laws, right? These are the rules you must follow in order to be a true believer. Um, You know, I I, I don't know if there are churches that are persecuting Christians for not being Christian enough, but I do know that we, that what we and we is is a collective we. uh, It's all of humanity because it's not just a it's not just a church thing. We actually see this. You can see this in any number of social spheres, right? Um, Any number of social places where. Uh, there are identifiers of a group, all right. Uh, that there are commonly held beliefs within a within a group. This again, this could be religious. This can be non-religious. This can be um, uh, this can be atheistic. This can be uh, groups that hold to uh, that there is a god, right? I mean, so this can go. This can be purely political. This can be purely social. Um, we we do the gatekeeping thing of who who's included and who's not. All the time, so it's this is a humanity problem, not just a not just a church problem. Um, but when we are in the church, I think the thing that we need to, uh, the, as Christians, that we need to keep rehearsing over and over again, is the gospel and what is the gospel truly. Well, the gospel says to us that that we cannot earn our salvation, right? And so when I look at other believers. Um, it's it is it is not my job to determine if they are saved enough or if they are Christian enough. Um, it is my job, and I am called as a believer to spur on other believers. Right? We are called uh, to strengthen one another. We are called to help one another. It's 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 why in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, we are told, do not forsake gathering together. We need one another. We need the voices of one another. We are to be spurred on by one another and stirred up by one another. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6 that we are to bear patiently with one another, right? Uh, there's a there's a whole myriad of the one and in the New Testament. So life is to be done together as Christians. And again, why do we need that? Uh, it's it's the same reason that we hear the spiritual truth in, in verse 8 here in Re- Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. They're not alone. They're not alone. They are part of a global church, right, for all believers that are together uh, physically, who are alive physically. We, we are together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And... And we are a part of the historic church, uh, though all the saints that have gone before us. Right, so the the church is both a spiritual entity and a physical entity. We are not alone. Um, so when we get alone, when we stop meeting with one another, all kinds of bad things happen. Right, uh, discouragement happens, uh, bad theology happens. Um, you know, uh, all kinds of all kinds of bad things happen. And so we are to be together. So when we are together. Uh, we are to spur one another on, we are to call each other out and call each other up into the righteousness of Jesus, right? And so that relationship, however, happens uh, in a small context. And so we need to be very careful when we are in the larger context of church, a corporate gathering of church, um, to not... to not. Uh, people who are gatekeeping, right? Uh, To not be people who are keeping others out of the kingdom because their morality uh, isn't lining up with our morality. We are to be people who are rehearsing the gospel over and over again. Uh, The gospel of grace says this, you cannot save yourself you could not earn your salvation. You could not do enough good to make God love you. Instead, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God sent his son, Jesus, being fully God. uh, He he cooperated with the plan of the Father, emptied himself, humbled himself, lowered himself to take on our form, to go to the cross, uh, lived a life without sin, Yet he bore our sin, took on our sin, suffered, right? He suffered in that when he took our sin, he suffered alienation from God, died, was buried, resurrected, and in that offers us new life, right? And continues to be God. He is still God and united with the Father. And so there's Jesus who's doing what we needed but could not do for ourselves, and so Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So that's the gospel. Now, when we come to sanctification, that is following Jesus in a wholehearted, life-defining way, becoming more like Christ, Like, look, Jesus is going to do business in our lives. He's, he desires to bring us into conformity. That's why we talked about this morning of the topic of tension, that we, as we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, Um, we're going to be increasingly experiencing tension in this age. We're going to be increasingly experiencing tension in our own lives because he's going to be rooting out our sinfulness. Um, He's going to be rooting out our rebellion. And so, no, we are never given license. We are never given uh, room to justify or to excuse sin. Jesus does not justify or excuse our sin. Um, He meets us with grace, but grace needs truth, right? Right. And so, uh, so for us as believers, we must not forget the reality of the gospel. I did not clean myself up for God to love me. I God loved me, and He began the process of forming me into His Son. Right as I am being formed into His Son, there are going to be parts of my life—sin, rebellion, disorder, desires—that are going to be re uh, going to be rooted out. And reworked for the glory of Christ. That's in every area of my life, right? So, so as believers, we're not we're not to gatekeep in that we say you have to reach this moral standard in order for God to love you or for you to be a true believer. But we are also not to do this the opposite thing um, in that sometimes in our in our compassion we desire we say what's the loving thing and the loving thing is not to. Uh, enforce or not to hold uh, to uh, to the standard of Christ, right? And we begin to excuse sin, or we make room for sin, or we become party to sin. So God does not excuse our sin, nor does He justify our sin, uh, nor does He say that that our moral performance could save us. So we don't get to gatekeep and say, uh, "Hey, it's not until you you hit these moral markers that God will love you." nor do we get to excuse or justify sin uh, in the name of God's love, right? God loves you, so it's not really a big deal that you engage in X, Y, or Z, or that you hold uh, to this disorder desire, or to this pattern of rebellion, right? God desires for us all to come into conformity with his son, uh, Jesus. So um, so are there Christians or other churches that are persecuting Christians for not being Christian enough? Uh Yes, I, I think so in the, in the general sense, but that's a human problem, not just a church problem. We do that in all sorts of uh, social clubs and social uh, environments and, and groups. Um, uh, but when we when it comes to, uh, to the church and it comes to Christians, let us consistently rehearse the gospel, what it is, that we are saved by grace, saved by faith, not by works, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, yet... We are also called to come into conformity with Christ. First John chapter two verse six. We are called to walk in the way of Jesus. We're literally called to walk in His footsteps. Right. So, uh, God sent Jesus. John chapter one verses fourteen and sixteen. God sent His Son Jesus, who is the very image, the very visible image of the invisible God, and that Jesus gives us makes makes grace and truth known to us. Right. So, um, so God does not excuse our sin. God does not justify our sin, um, nor does he wait for us to clean ourselves up morally uh, to belong to him. He makes a way for us where there was no way and calls us to come into conformity with Christ. And we do that in increasing ways, right? So uh, we must not forget the Length of our journey. I didn't. uh, I didn't come to Christ uh, fully formed. I've. I'm in the process of being formed, and my journey has taken years, years for me to be formed, and it will continue to take years for me to be formed. And on this side of heaven, I will never be truly or fully formed in the image of Jesus as I struggle against my fleshly nature. Right. So we 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 are to be rehearsing the gospel. We are to be reminded. Of the upward call of Christ, that it is his standard that we are called to, so we're not to justify sin. And finally, uh, we are to remember the, the timeline of our own journey. Uh, none of us came to this thing fully formed. So let us, uh, let us walk in grace and truth with those that are around us. So, great questions here as we engage into the book of Revelation. Um, again, more than anything, as we look at the church, the letter to the church of Smyrna, let us be stirred up and let us be spurred on to be faithful because Jesus has offered us his victory. It is a victory that we experience now in part, and we will experience in full in the age to come. And Jesus is present to us. God is present to us. He sees us. He knows us. He is close to us. Uh, so uh, he is not distant. Um, and so we are loved by God, known by God. And there is a victory that we experience now and in full in the age to come. And so let us be spurred on to be faithful people because of those realities and those truths. Um, and as we're faithful, uh, that, that Jesus would be exalted and that those who do not know Jesus yet would come to know him and experience the abundant life that is in him. So, uh, church, thanks for these questions. Great questions as we continue to wrestle and learn in the book of Revelation. We will see you next week.